0: The Crux of the Matter, Episode 65: The Pastor After Christmas. Hi, guys! Welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and this is Professor Scott Stigmayer. So, I guess what we um, what we have experienced over the last six or seven weeks, Scott, is what might be called pod fading. You ever heard that term before? No, that's new to me. That's basically when you have a relatively new podcast and after working at it for a while, it sort of fades away. Mm -hmm. Um, And we had a minor pod fade during the uh, uh, advent season here essentially things just kind of caught up with both of us in terms of school and normal pastoral professorial duties and everything else but uh we're back and lord willing we will uh we will get ourselves back on an every uh every other week schedule as uh as we did for the year prior to that does that seem doable to you my friend Mm -hmm. i think so awesome awesome so was
1: santa good to you this year did you have a good christmas Oh, you know, we had a bittersweet holiday. Uh, You know, there was a a death in the family. And and so um, over Christmas, over the Christmas break. And uh, so we did some traveling. We did some traveling, but it was the cheer was a little, you know, dampened by Yeah. The cheer was a bit muted. It wasn't quite the festive holiday that, um, one would prefer, but, uh, you know, we, it was good to be with, we were able to be with, uh, our loved one before, before he passed away and we were able to be with other family, you know, I mean, so the, the, the Lord was good and, um, you know, and we, we have the assurance of the resurrection. And, and so, you know, it wasn't totally a, a downer in that respect, but, um, how about you? Did you, uh, make out pretty well on Christmas morning? Well, it was, um, it was good. It was fun. I'll, uh, I'll talk
0: about, um, my, uh, kind of the, the, the gift that I got, um, mm-hmm. the chief one that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. I've had a lot of fun playing with later in the show when we get to our joy bringers, but yeah, Christmas tide was good. We had, uh, uh, one of my nieces and her and her husband was here visiting. And so, uh, so that was good. They're really fun people. And, uh, Christmas tide here at Holy Cross was great. Um, it was, uh, we just have wonderful music and, uh, uh, we had had really good attendance. And while I know that's not everything, it is something. And, you know, as a pastor, I'm kind of happy when I see my people going to church. That's kind of a good thing. And I'm not going to you know, apologize
1: for I, I, that. I, no, not at all. I mean, you know, we don't want to be obsessed with numbers. We say that right. often. But, but when you think about it, those numbers are actually people. Right, right. They're people. And so we, we're we not obsessed, but we are very um, you know, fixated, you might say on serving people, right. human beings. And right. so that's great. I think that's awesome. If you had a, if you had a good turnout, we were out of town. And so we visited a church that we weren't familiar with or, you know, just sort of right. familiar with. And, um, and it was a different experience. They had a very early service on Christmas Eve. The only one that they, that they did was at 4 PM. And so that was a little bit, um, you know, it was fine, we're, but we're doing candlelight, you know, right. <laughs> and singing before it's physically before dark, etc. before dinner. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, whatever, yeah. but, it, but the music was good and the preaching was fine. And we had a, we had a, uh, we were in the Lord's house. We received his gifts. So. That's nothing bad about any of that.
0: Oh, that is for sure. Interesting. Interesting. Well, and I, you know, I think that I forget because it has been so long I forget how many people and how often people are not at their home church for the high feast days. Yeah. And and how peculiar it is, is that the most, at least liturgically, the most significant days of the year, there are, I think, a fair number of people in our churches that are never home. Right. Because they're going to see family, which is great. Mm -hmm. But that's but that's kind of hard and and that would totally change my experience of christmas tide and and uh and and lent and easter and everything else because of course i'm always home for these days cuz right. i'm working <laughs> right right um, no, my I'm... family 20 some years ago gave up the concept of oh well, we're going to see family on christmas i mean we may see people afterwards but unless they come to us uh, this is what it is. From, it ain't happening. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's just interesting, and I I do feel sometimes like pastors' families have such a such a different worldview, it just in terms of kind of family dynamics and what is important and not important and when are dad, mom busy and not busy that it's it's sort of off from what many, if not most families experience. Now, I don't think pastors are actually more busy than anybody else. I think we can act that way sometimes, that's for sure. But I don't think we're more busy, but uh, it's probably differently busy. That's for sure. It's interesting.
1: Well, it's definitely busy. And, um, you know, I mean, you might, you might not be more busy than your parishioners, but you're more busy than you usually are. And sure. uh, and in that respect, it can be can be a stressful time as well as a joyful time. Right.
0: And, and I know I've mentioned it here before, but we've had um, quite a number of deaths in my congregation this past year. Mm-hmm. We had 11 funerals and for a congregation of our size, that really is quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of thing weighs on a, a congregation. It weighs on a pastor, their families. I was looking at christmas and and just seeing i want to say six or seven widows that weren't widows last christmas yeah well wow. and, and for them their once again their experience of especially these typically family intensive times are totally different mm-hmm. and now are kind of fraught with grief in a way that they didn't have before um and how do how do we as pastors kind of address that especially when that is also true for us personally
1: yeah and yeah, so you're right. dealing
0: with your own your own grief or your own inner demons if you want to put it that way while at the same time trying to uh trying to offer comfort along the way so all of which kind of a uh, uh, will roll us into our uh, our main topic here in a minute. But I did want to spend a second and talk a little bit about um, what are you teaching. Uh, I, I'm going to go first. I'm going to guess that since you're on
1: break, you probably aren't teaching a whole lot right this second. No, um, and, and I had a teaching ex, a special teaching experience over Thanksgiving I'll talk about later. Okay, great, great.
0: Um, I have been teaching for the last month, I'm going to say, Been doing a Bible class on the incarnation. Seems like we're always talking about the incarnation on this class on this uh, podcast. I don't know why, but um, but and basically it started with uh, a side comment at the end of this liturgy video series that we were watching. We were walking, watching uh, Dr. Arthur Just liturgy video series for this past fall, and he made a, a what was really a side comment in the very last session about about why it may be beneficial for churches to have crosses that have bodies on them a corpus which mm-hmm. is usually called a crucifix at least in western christianity um and so he he simply made the side comment that that this is a good thing because it confesses both the the incarnation that our lord took a a physical human body And that he really suffered and that he really died and that it is a good confession of the atonement. It kind of holds up a lot of uh, a lot of the main Lutheran doctrines in a way that a an abstract symbol like a cross can't. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's a shortened version of it, but that was essentially what he did. He made this as an aside Mm -hmm. and um, not too surprisingly, uh, there were uh, a fair number of people that were kind of scandalized by that. I don't, I think that that may be the right word. Um, Crosses with bodies on them, at least in the United States, are often associated with Roman Catholicism. And so there is a, a sort of sense, and I think, I think taught by many, you know, if not overtly, at least implicitly taught by many that, Uh, crucifixes are Roman Catholic. And since we're not Roman Catholic, we can't have crucifixes. We have to do something else. And that probably means an empty cross.
1: Or Um, if you do have a crucifix, it's just you're giving in to your pastors, Romanizing tendencies or whatever. whatever.
0: (laughs) Right. And, and I didn't want to get in, make this into a, um, an argument according to taste. No. Um. So the way that I, attempted to uh, answer that was to spend the last month or so really doing a theology of the incarnation, which is really helpful for me um, in terms of my preparation for preaching, you know, which was kind of a side benefit, but, but I wanted to approach first from the point of why does it matter that Jesus has a body? Why does it matter that God became man? And, uh, and then kind of back into the question of, So what would be good, bad or ugly, therefore, about having a corpus on uh, on a cross? And we're just wrapping this up. Um, We looked at Philippians two last Sunday, and I think I may do one more session on that. Um, I haven't decided yet, frankly, but after that, we're going to start Matthew. So that'll keep us busy for about a year and a half or something, which will be great because I like Matthew.
1: So do you have a crucifix in your, on your altar? I don't remember.
0: No, we don't. No, we
1: have a, we have a
0: cross, a, a large uh, wall cross and it's, and it's lovely. Um, Mm -hmm. But there aren't any crucifixes in the sanctuary. Um, And, and I think there should be, whether it's a, whether it's the big cross on the wall or a processional cross or an altar cross or something else um, that, you know, that's kind of a different question, but, theologically, I would argue that that is the clearest confession of what we believe about Jesus and why it matters. Yeah. You know, if you have to pick a, 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 an artistic symbol in some way, um, I would be hard pressed to find something else. It would either be that, or it would be something that was more explicitly sacramental, like a chalice or something.
1: Um, you know, it, I, I think I may have even mentioned this on the podcast once before, but are you familiar with the Alex Aminos Graffito? No, I don't think I've graffito, ever heard those the, words the, before. Can you say <laughs> that again? <laughs> yeah. the yeah. Alex Aminos, Alex Aminos uh, Graffito. Graffito, of course, is the singular of graffiti. Okay. okay. So there's this, there's this ancient Roman, uh, uh, specimen of, of graffiti that is intending to mock christianity Mm -hmm. it's a real thing and it dates from something like the second century i mean it's very old okay and uh someone had painted on a wall a crucifix but and then they they but they to mock christianity they made even more they made the the person on the cross have the head of an ass a donkey gotcha and then it said alex the caption was "Alexaminos worships his God," because there's a man kneeling to this, to this foolish, God. you know, thing being hung on a cross. Alexaminos worships his God, and this was supposed to be just sort of, you know, a complete, complete mockery of Christianity. And then, in a different hand, written next to it, is the word "Alexaminos is faithful," <laughs> and it it just strikes me. That you know, even from the but based on what you were saying, that from the very earliest time, the notion of the man on the cross is you know is in fact representative of of our God. You know, this is this is God for us as almost nothing else could be. Right. Um, so you know, anyway, I, I I affirm what you're saying about um, the incarnation and putting up a, a crucifix. I think that's a, a, be, a beautiful confession of faith. It's a great aid to devotion. Um, you're not by thereby denying the resurrection or any, any nonsense like that. Um, so awesome. Hope yeah, it's to. been good. I've been
0: reading, uh, a, a book in connection with this. You've probably, uh, you've probably seen it or read it at some point. i not read it. But Incarnation, yeah. myth or fact by Oscar Scarsauna. Um, it's, uh, I presume that that is Swedish and, uh, Uh, So it's translated, it was translated, I want to say 25 years ago, something like that. And what he attempts to do is, is basically make an apologia for why the incarnation matters in modern Christianity. And so he looks at, he looks at ancient Christianity. He looks at how the patristic fathers approached the incarnation. uh, And then, and then kind of looks at modernity and how modernity does it. There, there are a couple things in there that, that just utterly blew my mind um, that I have not had a chance to kind of um, externally verify. Uh, one of them was that was the notion that for most Greeks in the first century, maybe, you know, the answer to this. I don't know. Um, one of the for the most Greeks in the first century, the the notion of a. God becoming man would be considered um, superstitious nonsense Uh, that most Greeks in the first century, they didn't believe the gods of Homer. You know, nobody believed in Zeus or not many that most were more sophisticated Greeks would have followed a much more philosophical approach. And so the The gods that that we kind of know, Apollo and all of the mythology around that uh, would have been seen as kind of um, simpleton. And so to uh, to have a god that becomes a man uh, would essentially be saying, I'm an idiot. (laughs) Um, Wow. Yeah. Which is a totally different take on that than I have heard before. so I, I've i got more reading to do on that to find out if he's right on that. But if that is the case, uh, that may force me to reread the Mars Hill, for example, um, and kind of what's going on with many of those things. I don't know. It's very interesting, though.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't I, I mean, I'm not sure about the claim he makes, but it sounds right. Uh, yeah. You know, it it, it, it sounds right. I, I, I I've heard that. I mean, I've heard that that the. Greeks in the first century probably were not, um, you know, literalists and tended to allegorize uh, right. Homer and things like that. Right. But, um, but, I, but, you know, that particular spin that this would have been seen is it makes sense. I mean, especially if you think about this um, this graffiti I just talked about, right. you know, which dates from yep. about the same time in Rome. Yep. You know, where they're where they're saying you must be, you know, that this is, this is asinine. This is literally what they're saying. This, right. that This is ridiculous right. that you're right. worshiping a God on the cross. And, um, you know, but the the Christian response to that was, well, that is faithfulness. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's yeah I think that's, a, I, I, I have not read that book, but I, I, you know, of course it's, it's, since it's a CPH product from a few years ago, I've seen it, Yeah. but, uh, haven't read it yet. It is
0: often on, on sale or on clearance or something for, you know, five bucks or something really pretty inexpensive. Um, And it is a, uh, uh, he's Norwegian, by the way, I apologize to all of our, uh, all of our Swedish listeners that may have been scandalized by that. Um, But uh, yeah, it was about 1990, something like that. And, and I've often seen it on clearance tables. And such for CPH. So it's worth, it's worth reading. It really is. It's well done. Check it out. Yep. Indeed. So what does, um, just thinking or moving into our, our main topic a little bit more, what does, uh, what does Christmas look like during the 12 days of Christmas after most of the work is done for the pastor? Um, kind of, where do you start? with a question like that?
1: Well, I think we kind of started when we were just doing our introduction, when we were sort of talking about um, the the particular difficulty of a pastor in proclaiming the, the glory of, of Christmas, while at the same time, you know, being separate from family, uh, being, you know, perhaps uh, burdened by the looking out and seeing the, the newly Widowed, right? Um, in the congregation, right. so you know, I think we, I think we've kind of touched on that. But I, you know, it, it's, it's in a, like, like, like any major liturgical festival in in, in the church, um, or unlike almost any other except Easter, it, it's exhausting it's emotionally exhausting it's right. not physically it's not that it's so physically hard to do what pastors do unless you're ending up unless you are doing a lot of funerals and a lot of extra services and it can be physically exhausting too but i don't think people realize that you know mental there's such a thing as mental exhaustion and emotional exhaustion and and you know this is a theme we come to frequently here but i think right. it's relevant for talking about the 12 days of christmas i mean especially if a person is sort of struggling with anything at all, like depression or um, seasonal affective disorder or anything like that, where they're already sort of inclined in the dead of winter um, and, um, and around the holidays to be a bit uh, melancholy.
0: Right. Right. And this just kind of turns into either a pile on or a magnifying glass or something, something like that. So tendencies are exaggerated right? and right. become that much harder. Um, I think that most pastors would, would say that a good portion of the individual care or individual pastoral counseling, if you want to use that term, that they do probably happens in December and January. Um, that is certainly the case for me. So I have to kind of Uh, think through and build in that kind of time, never mind the fact that especially in uh, parts of the country where the weather is significantly worse in the wintertime, that is much physically, much more physically taxing on the elderly. So one often has more funerals in the winter than in the summertime. And so there are a lot of these sort of pressures that all come into play that that means when the pastor is done with the last service on Christmas
1: um, he is done <laughs> well and he's been doing more during Advent right also. right
0: and uh, and yet it's probably at that point when the pastor's family is going to say oh great now it's our turn yeah which now is, we can spend more time with you, right? Than me. Which is which is perfectly reasonable, uh, in in many respects and and understandable, but uh, for the pastor, especially if the pastor has any kind of introverted tendencies and uh, and needs to kind of recharge with a sense of solitude, if that's the case, then the time after Christmas can be very taxing as well. And and that's um that's really tough. It is.
1: So do you think there are introverted pastors? (laughs) (laughs) Um I'm just gonna say yes. (laughs) What what is it though? I mean it seems like it seems like it would be a profession that screams you need to be an extrovert. Yeah. Um in a way. Because you know you're I think that's true, but I also think that
0: that is because the the modern notion of pastoral care is equated with being a sort of a spiritual salesman or entrepreneur. And if your role is to be this kind of entrepreneurial, I'm going to go and going to start from something from nothing and I'm going to build this up and it's going to kind of center around my personality. That does really demand an extrovert. Um, I would suggest that that is not a biblical view of the pastoral office. And then if you were to look at pastors 50 years ago, 100, 200, 500, 1500 years ago, um, the notion of of solitude, of meditation and prayer and of and of and particularly meditating on the word of God, these were the the things that made up the life of the pastor and then applying those to the lives of his people. Uh, We have tended to utterly devalue solitude and meditation as being kind of um, a waste of time, I think.
1: No, I think, I think you're right. And I, but, but even, even so, um, you know, and I, 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 I don't appreciate the uh, sort of entrepreneurial approach to pastoral ministry that you, that you talk about, but, um, but even so, I mean, just being the guy, I mean, if you're a real introvert, you know, uh, and there are probably degrees, I'm no expert, but there are probably, um, you know, it's a spectrum I imagine. And there are degrees sure. of introversion and probably different kinds of introversion. But, uh, uh, you know, if, uh, if you're, if you're that sort of person, um, you know, do you like to be with people? Right. <laughs> and, and, and I'm not saying there's nothing that this essentially evil or bad to, to prefer solitude. Um, but, uh, you know, to be with people, you know, is, you know, you do have to be with people to be a pastor. Even you do. if you're, taking a more biblical shepherding, I mean, a shepherd and, you know, using the shepherd motif. I mean, there is an essential in which you lead the sheep, but in a a way in which you lead the sheep and, um, you know, the, the shepherd leads the sheep. He doesn't drive the sheep. Right. Right. Well, there are dangers. yeah. Yeah.
0: Remembering of course, that I don't think that the, the introvert extrovert binary is, is found in the scriptures. This is a a relatively modern distinction. Now, I think that it makes sense and that it is a uh, one of a myriad of helpful ways for us to kind of wrap our brains around what it means to be human and the great variety that that we have and we receive in humanity. Um, But there are dangers for the introvert, just as there are dangers for the extrovert. Um, And but they're not the same dangers. Right. And that's the, and that's the, the challenge I think is that for the introvert, uh, that, that time of solitude and recharging is absolutely critical. And, and that can, and when that happens, then they are better able to care for their sheep, um, for the extrovert. But if the introvert doesn't have that, then, Then there's going to be a big problem, or the introvert can become so inwardly focused that you kind of forget about the leading part. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, for the extrovert, the extrovert can very easily become a narcissist. Oh, yeah. And it can become all about you and about receiving praise. Uh, And they're both dangerous. And frankly, both of
1: those are taxed during tide, that's that's why I brought that up is because you know at Christmas especially there are parties there are gatherings you might have an extra reception you know I mean you, you're doing extra there, there are so many more expectations to be there right and right you know, and I, I've often said and I, I that's something I've struggled with as a, as a pastor in the you know in the past and I, but I've often said I like the quote from Woody Allen that you know that 98% of success is just showing up. Yep. And I, I think that, you know, you got to show up at stuff. You got to show up and 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 be present. You don't necessarily have to be the life of the party and you don't always have to be, you know, Mr. Loquacious, but you do got to, you know, it, it, you kind of have to get out of yourself a little bit. And, um, you know, and that's going to be harder for some pastors than for others. And Christmas, I, I would think Christmas would be particularly burdensome in those respects. Yeah, uh, it certainly is for me.
0: No question. Yeah. Um sure. So so what's the out? What's the kind of what's the the solution or how to how to ease that burden a little bit? Um, I have a couple ideas and I'm sure you do, too. Um, Number one is is simply the acknowledgement that this is the case, Mm -hmm. the recognition for yourself, for your family, for your congregation, that all of these things are going on and that If these things can be acknowledged, not as a way of of whining or or kind of trying to get out of stuff, but simply a recognition. Yep. This is a this is a time that is uh, emotionally taxing and draining and that it's going to take me more time to recover in some capacity. That's going to help both for yourself and your own expectations and for your family and for your congregation. That's kind of. That's kind of number one for me is if you don't think that this is hard, um, then you're 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 kind of living in a crazy land and I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. But I definitely have found pastors that kind of maintain, oh, this is the my absolute favorite <laughs> time of year. It's the best time of year. And in some respects, that's absolutely true. Yeah. I love Christmas tide. I yeah. really do. Um,
1: but I also recognize how much it takes out of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I mean, I'm with you there because I, you know, when I talk about this introversion thing, I, I, I think of myself in that way as sort of an introvert who masks it pretty well at times. I think I'm able to, and there are times it's funny, you know, I should read up on introversion because I, I don't know anything, but it's, there are times when I feel extroverted, but, um, you know. I have to be forced into, it, you know, I have to push myself into it. And then once it starts going, it's almost like then a ball just starts to roll down the hill and picks up more and more right. snow. Right. And that, that happens occasionally for me. And I've noticed that, but not always, um, you know, for me, whenever I would struggle with, um, you know, the, the, the weight of it all, uh, you know, and this sounds, this sounds maybe obvious and, cliche or whatever, but listen, Advent and Christmas, we've got some real treasures in terms of the liturgical, uh, life and in terms of the, the hymnody. Yeah. And if we're, if we're not just simply, you know, you know, basking in carols, but we're, you know, there's it was some of which are quite marvelous. But um, but if we're really looking at some of the beautiful hymns of the church that we that we have for this time of year, you know, I was listening to another podcast a while back, and I heard a, a guy, not a pastor, but but a guy who should know better, uh, complaining that uh, you know the, the in the in the Lutheran Church the Advent music sucks, and what he meant was we're not singing carols, and I almost flipped my lid because yeah, that's I, I think some of the best music.
0: Yeah, definitely, uh, but. If your expectation is December means we're singing Christmas carols, then you come to church and you don't sing any. (laughs) And you get very disappointed. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, we could maybe put manage your expectations under there and (laughs) teach the congregation to manage theirs. That's uh, that's kind of important. I do think that it's important. I know it's important for me to to take time with my family quite intentionally afterwards. And, um, and that means even if my own kind of personal nature, and and I'm kind of sort of a recluse by nature, um, I would be perfectly comfortable sitting in a dark room watching movies for five days after Christmas. I'd yeah. Just fine with that I really would. Um, I'm not saying that would be helpful. <laughs> but I'm saying I could do it. And mm-hmm. so I have to kind of recognize yes okay i need to have some some downtime and some and some non interact some solitude of some sort but i also am a husband and a father and my family needs me and they have sacrificed just as much as i have maybe more during during difficult seasons and and so it is important for me to figure out a way to give to them as well that may mean Physically leaving that uh, I don't know. That's for me, it it almost has to mean physically leaving because it's too easy to fall into the same habits otherwise. So, uh, for example, this last week we went up to the we went up to the mountains and went and played in the snow for a couple of days and it was great. It was um, it was it was good. I was able to spend more time with my with my wife and my kids than I have in, a, in quite a while and it was very, very helpful. And everybody kind of comes back and says, oh, yeah, we do still like each other.
1: That's great. Yeah, right. <laughs> have you ever – and this is something that um, I, I just think we don't talk about in the, as, as Lutheran pastors very much. But have you ever taken like a personal retreat, like gone off onto a, a mountaintop or gone to a monastery or something for like three days just to not not to immerse yourself in a dark room with movies playing, but to read, to pray, to be alone, to be silent for a while. Have you ever done that? I haven't, and I really,
0: really want to. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I do right. I do. Right. One of my uh, uh uh good friends that i I serve on a board with now he's a pastor in Wyoming. Uh, He does this every January where he goes and literally holes up in a cabin in the mountains, no Internet, no phone, nothing for a week. Yeah. And and he says, that's the only way that I can make it through the year is Mm -hmm. because he's able to do this. And it's partly relaxation. It's partly planning, you know, Mm -hmm. planning services, thinking about sermons, just kind of all of this stuff. There is a lot of benefit to that. It's worth yeah, our I've, it's worth our collective thinking about how to make that happen. It really is.
1: Yeah, I've 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 thought on that many times as a pastor that it would be beneficial to me and to my congregation <laughs> ultimately. Right. You know, a healthy shepherd, right? You know, yep. makes a healthy healthy parish, maybe. Yep. But um but an unhealthy shepherd definitely is not gonna be good for the health of the congregation. Right, right.
0: Interesting. Any other thoughts on this kind of post-Christmas period as a as a pastor, and kind of what to do or how to how to
1: recover? Other than the almost uh, useless or futile attempt to try to celebrate twelve days of Christmas at Christmas, yeah, um, no, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I th- that's always always a tough thing to, yeah. to actually cause we're, I find I become sort of swept along with the culture in terms of the observance, but,
0: um, no, I, have got nothing else. Yeah. Well, I think this is, this is more than enough for people to uh, chew on along the way. So, uh, <clears throat> so why don't we, uh, why don't we move into our joy bringers? I know yours is going to be a little bit longer, so let me go first. Okay. Um, so we can kind of get that one out of the way. Um, most people that know me know that I'm kind of an audiophile. I'm always playing around with uh, with speakers and sound systems and mics and all kinds of stuff. Uh, one of the things that I have that I have been pining for, and and have never found one that I really loved, was a uh, a noise canceling headphone, mm-hmm. and particularly a noise canceling headphone that's wireless, that's Bluetooth, because. Uh, now that I'm I'm serving on this uh, Board of Regents for Concordia Seminary, I'm doing a lot more traveling than I have in many years. And so I'm spending a lot more time sitting in airports and on planes and stuff and, uh, and I've been looking for this. Well, my uh, Christmas gift for this year was a, uh, a set of a Bluetooth uh, headset that's made by a company called Monoprice. I'll, I'll have a link for the for the exact headset in the show notes. Um, Mono Price is is kind of a a company that specializes in in audio and video and kind of tech equipment, cables, uh, many of these things, speakers and other things. Um, but but they are half or less than half of what many of the big names are, um, but they are very good quality. and And if you find one of their pieces that is kind of hits the spot, it can be a fantastic deal and uh and really worth uh, worth all of the effort along the way. well, they just released a set of a Bluetooth noise cancelling headset, so a wireless headset um, costs sixty nine dollars mm. and they are fantastic. they sound great they The Bluetooth is really easy. they pair quickly, they've got a nice nice rich sound for music, but they work really well for um uh, they work really well for for audiobooks and podcasts and stuff like that. Um, they're they're heavy. They're not small. They're over the ear, you know, so mm-hmm. they're not meant to fit in your pocket or something. But they're yeah. wireless, which helps a lot in terms of yeah. kind of the bulk and handling and stuff. And they're seventy dollars. Uh, if you were to go with a the Bluetooth wireless noise canceling headset from like Bose, they're three hundred and fifty dollars.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah. So, and I'm sure that these are not as good as the Bose ones, but I bet that they're 90% as good and they cost, you know, one third or less than a third of the cost. And that's a great deal because I'm not going to spend $350 on a headset. I don't, I don't have that kind of a, I'm not that kind of a pastor, Um, but I can spend 70 Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they are really great. And I am really looking I'm really looking forward to traveling with these things. So that's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. That's awesome.
0: Yeah.
1: So what's bringing you joy or what happened? um, Yeah. Let me just talk a little bit. I won't, I won't spend a long time. I I just wanted to, um, since we haven't had a podcast in a while, I wanted to just sort of mention this to the listeners uh, because it did bring and has brought a lot of joy to not just my life, but to the life of my wife and my son, our family. We went on a mission trip to Guatemala um with Concordia University with students from Concordia and another faculty member and his family and then and a few others. And we went down and did a uh, a quite varied type of mission mission trip over Thanksgiving break. Okay. We went down there so we were gone for ten days basically for a week and, and a weekend. And we we it was it was busy it was extremely taxing. And, and, you know, it's one of those things where I was just talking about a minute ago where I have to be forced into certain situations and then I find I could be a little more extroverted. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, that's what these things do to me. And I kind of appreciate that in that respect. But what we did was so neat. We, we went and we had um, mornings where we did vacation Bible school with the kids. And then in the afternoons, I did theological education with a couple of lay leaders in the community. And then, uh, we also kind of oversaw a construction project that Concordia was funding, is funding. Concordia is funding, a, a building a water tank, a new water tank, bigger and larger water tank for this one village. We have a relationship with this one village that we go to three times a year, Concordia does and, uh, to the same place for five years. And, and that way you you develop some kind of relationship or rapport with those people. And it's not just sort of a, you know, slam, bam, one time thing. And then you're out of there. And it was just a real, uh, this is my joy bringer. It was a real, um, it was difficult, but, uh, you know, we were kind of floating for a while and you get really close when you go on a mission trip like this or some any kind of thing like this, you get close to the people that you're with. And that was, that was a neat thing too. It's a neat, um, as a professor to be with students in this kind of a setting and kind of situation. Hmm. Now, when I see them on campus, we have some, you know, we have a a different dynamic. It changes it. Right. You have a rapport with them that you could not have in any other way. Right. Absolutely. So I would encourage anybody, you know, that wants to know more. (laughs) I mean, I I talk about this for a long time, but I, I think that it's, um, something I would encourage people to check out if they're interested at all in Guatemala, um, uh, email me through the, through the website. Um, but I guess my other main, uh, thought would be this, is that if you're a pastor and you find that you get kind of sick of, you're just kind of struggling, you're in a rut, you might need to do something like this or a retreat, like we were talking about before that, you know, or, or doing some kind of a get out of yourself sort of thing. Um, because this was all about serving and doing, and, and, you know, especially when, at least for me, when I'm doing something with kids, it can be particularly taxing, but it's, but, uh, you know, they're just so receptive and it was, and the. They're beautiful. And so it was a neat, neat experience all around. I just enjoyed it so much. Wow. So what did you teach when you were there? Well, okay. So I I did in the afternoons. um, I taught uh, a couple of lay leaders uh, from the village who want theological education. Okay. And I my first day, I would heard, I'd gotten different signals from people about what kind of thing I should teach when I'm there. And so I had a couple of things in my back pocket, but then my first day, I just sort of, I just sort of queried them to find out what they're, what they know and where they're from. And I, I ended up doing a study on, uh, Romans. We looked at, we talked a lot about justification and sanctification, law and gospel and their relationship and the Christian life, but we did it through the through studying the book of Romans, we went from chapter three to chapter six. And, um, I, you know, I, I think that they are a couple of fine, fine young Christian men, uh, who are serving actively in their churches, um, and have a real hunger for theology. And so it was, it was, it was, it was neat to be able to participate in, in their training a little bit. Well. Wow kind of yeah. hard to go wrong teaching romans isn't it yeah that's what i figured i you know i had a couple of other ideas and i like i said i had a couple of ideas in my back pocket if if i needed to to pull them out but but from once i started to talk to them and talk to some of the other uh well there's a missionary on the site and so i who okay. lives there and so i was talking to him and he was he was telling me what he thinks that their theological education could really use because he knows them better than than anybody else. So yeah, it's kind of hard to go wrong, wrong teaching Romans. So in the mornings we were doing Bible studies with the little kids and I was helping out with that. And then in the afternoons I taught, and then we did a little bit of uh, oversight of this building project. So that was a, that was my Thanksgiving break. I came back totally tired and had to teach right away, but um, you know, there's different kinds of tired. And and this was a, this was a, a kind of tired that that I didn't mind as much as
0: certain sure. other kinds of tires. <laughs> oh, I, I get it. Well, that's fantastic, Scott. I have wanted to do uh, uh, a trip like that for a long time, but it has uh, just never quite worked out for me to be able to do it between the sure. time and the cost and everything else. So uh, it's definitely on my list of uh, list of things. I'm so glad you're going to be able to do this. Are you going to go back?
1: Well, no, we have every intention to, um, now uh, there are other professors that kind of want to do it. So I just told, I told the leader of the whole program, I, when we came back to keep us in the bullpen, we would definitely go back. Um, if the circumstances, you know, were right because we, cause the school takes three trips down and takes students and takes faculty. And like I said, maybe a few other people from the local churches who have a, you know, a skill or an expertise, like for one of the trips that we do is, is the theme is medical missions. And so we send our nursing students, but we might send along a dentist or a doctor or someone from a local church too. So anyway, that, you know, uh, you know, if you ever do get a chance like that, I, I always kind of, part of me dreads it because of the introvert thing, um, and wondering if I'll survive it. Um, but then when you're forced into being, uh, sort of on, And, and it's, you know, it wasn't permanent. It was just for one week. Um, I don't know. It, it, I find that it, it does me more good than, than, than really I probably am doing for anybody else.
0: Hmm.
1: Well, that's awesome,
0: Scott. I'm so glad you had an opportunity to do that. What a great, uh, what a great and incredibly useful way to spend your, uh, to spend your time.
1: uh, Plus we got some great Guatemalan coffee. Wow. Can't go yeah. wrong with that. That's right, for sure. Right.
0: Oh, I could use some good coffee about now. That's probably a sign, my friend, that we need to uh, we need to wrap up. Yep. Um, but uh, on that fine note, do you have anything, uh, any concluding
1: words for our dear listeners? No, uh, thanks for being patient. We had to take some weeks off, but we're back in action. Awesome. Awesome. And to all our uh,
0: brother pastors and anyone else who's listening, Happy New Year, and we will see you next time.